Thanks for taking the time to listen to our 3D OrthoPro podcast. If you'd like to get any more information on Piro, 8Soul or Raptor, please visit our website at www.3dorthopro.com or drop us an email at info at 3dorthopro.com. Hello everybody and thank you for tuning back into the 3D OrthoPro podcast. I am delighted that he replied to my email. <laughs> and just, uh, and uh, came to join us. Uh, it's we've got Tim Cooney, uh, product designer at Tuan. Although I think you that, that seems like a I don't know if that's your 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 real title because you've 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 had a, you've got lots of hats, haven't you? And I sure. uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, hello, hello, Doug. How are you? Thanks for yeah. inviting me. It's uh, no, it's a pleasure to to come and have a chat with you. And, and well done on setting up a forum like this where we can. Where we can learn more about uh, what everyone's doing in 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 the orthotics and prosthetics field. It's a it's a good idea. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Uh, as I say, I was, before we started, I'm I'm uh, learning as I go, or otherwise known as winging it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I just like because like, a lot of people in Pino probably know your name, uh, and and but I just wanted to see whether you tell us just a little bit about kind of your background and your career and how you've ended up where you are. No. Sure, sure. It's a pleasure. Um, well, my, I'm, I'm from Australia, and um, but I've worked most of my career in the UK. I, I remember being in Australia and, and thinking, oh, geez, I, as a young man, thinking, you know, I'd like to be a builder's labourer. or um, And then I get distracted and think I'd like to uh, be a physiotherapist. You know, um, And I remember approaching this industry thinking that it was a good way to hedge my bets in my approach to uh, early education, um, early tertiary education. Yeah. And, um, and you mentioned wearing a few hats. And, and I think that it's proven to be the case that, that uh, the orthotics and prosthetics um, career for me has been a way to keep my interest and hedge my bets towards my professional development. So, you know, I, I started my career working in... Um, teaching hospitals in Australia and then I moved to uh, teaching hospitals in London purely as a um, clinician, an orthotic yeah. clinician. Mm-hmm. But um, I found that I've gravitated towards uh, the technical side of the job, uh, which isn't often the direction you seek. You know, you yeah. Know, yeah, that's true. Very true. Yeah. You hear a lot of stories of the other way. Yeah. You hear stories of people starting on the, the bench, as they, they call it, and then moving on to doing the clinical side of things. But, um, but my interest went the other way. I, 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 I'm a materials geek. I like materials. I, I, I'm interested in, in the, the minutiae of the detail of what different um, types of materials can do. And I think that that engineering type knowledge, that materials knowledge can be very powerful when it comes yeah. to finding solutions for, um, yeah. for, for patients. So going the direction of, you know, first half of my career in clinical and then second half in, um, in technical um, has given me a perspective that's helping me now as a product designer for 2AM. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of how I got here at this stage. I think, and I think like the perspective thing is really interesting because I was just thinking this the other day, like I've taken myself out of all that clinical experience and the stuff that I was doing in the NHS role where I've seen such a wide range of stuff and you think, well, I've kind of really kind of narrowed down what I'm doing. I'm kind of mainly focusing on privately on lower limb orthotics um, and then doing doing some business development. So I was like, oh, am I, I think I was thinking, am I de-skilling myself from one part, but then am I gaining in another? And it, it's kind of like, oh, difficult to kind of plot plot where you go in your in your head and and, and kind yeah. of kind of see it as a as a straight line or but frankly I think that's the most that's the best thing about our profession is yeah. that uh, adding value to but both both sides of that yeah uh, is what makes the day interesting for us but can also make the outcomes for our patients much better when we get the balance right yeah um so and i you know i think that we probably skew 
in our training towards the clinical side of yeah. what yeah. our patients face, to be able to talk to the referrers, to be able to talk to the, to, to understand prognosis, to understand um, uh, what, what, what clinical scenarios our patients face. But, but actually the engineering stuff, you know, the, what we face in a, in a normal caseload is actually quite significant engineering problems. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, you, you've got a small area to work with, you know, yeah. a limb, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and then you've got large forces to work with, you know, uh, obese people walking or, yeah. or um, active people running, yeah. you know. And so the engineering problems are really significant in our field. Um, and I, I actually learned that by, um, you know, I'd approach, I, I thought I'd approach a few Formula One teams with some problems, you know. So I, I got in my car up to Silverstone and, and I, you know, I said to them, look, um, can you help me? I'm, I work in, in a hospital and we help people walk. And I was thinking of a cafe in my own head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, and we would like to help, you know, a 100 kilo person uh, stabilise their knee and ankle. Uh, you can only touch certain areas of that mm -hmm. limb in order to stabilise this 100 kilo person. Yeah. They, um, they will be very sensitive to areas that, that touch them elsewhere. Yeah. Um, they will have different activities throughout the day. Uh, you only get one shot. Yeah. Uh, it has to fit the first time. Yeah. You can't break or show any signs of wear for two years. Uh, and you need to do it really cheap. And, <laughs> Biggest challenge of all. Yeah, and they just sort of laugh at you, and you know, nicely laugh at you and say, well, how many times can we test it and put it through the wind tunnel and put it, you know, all those yeah. sorts of, you know, and you can't do that. So finding uh, the balance between clinical expertise and and the engineering involved in what we do is the sweet spot, I think. Yeah, for, yeah. For that's what. so true. That's so true when you put it in that frame, like what, what how other people on the outside perceive. And, and actually, Doug, we're quite good at it. Like orthotists yeah. are quite good at threading that needle and finding ways to to take um, certain materials and, and processes and make it uh, appropriate for 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 the applications in in, in hospitals yeah. and caseloads. Yeah. And I think even the, the the added challenge of of the person on the other end, the, the subjectivity of of their response to what you do. I mean, that's probably as Certainly, my career has gone on, and that's the biggest challenge of all. Like setting, setting things out so that they can see it and understand it to see whether they're in or whether they're out or whether they're yeah, well beyond that. Well, and I should say the the Formula One teams they they did um they didn't say no, they just said they wanted about fifty grand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah maybe a little far. Barrier, yeah, <laughs> to, to a little bit of a barrier for for our for our um uh, clientele, that's for sure. And the kind of what would then have sparked the idea? Obviously, this is your you can tell that you're already thinking this. That where does the idea come from to set up a company just purely manufacturing carbon fiber carbon well, composite products? Well, a bit in 2011, um, you know, I, I was. I was trying to do the best thing for my patients uh, clinically and and I would watch the Formula One on the weekend and, and you'd see the engineering that goes into um, those sorts of machines. And you would think that the the aims are not entirely dissimilar. You know, so uh, for, racing teams want to go around a track quicker and yeah. we want our clients to walk across the road before the lights turn red, you know. Yeah. And uh, racing teams will use materials to do that. Uh, and we would use materials as well. And they, there's certain rules that, that racing teams have to follow, like uh, stipulations from the sport. We get stipulations from yeah. patients. Uh, uh, um, you know, physics rules, such as yeah. aerodynamics, we have to face a lot of biomechanical rules. Mm -hmm. So... Around 2010, I did approach the, the Formula One teams. I asked them, you know, can can you use the science that you use in your um, the execution of your goals for the execution mm -hmm. of our goals? And I became really interested in in composite materials. Um, 
that's actually a very deep subject. Uh, yeah. you know, there's many different composite materials. Uh, they do a lot of different things. And I, I say that I'm a bit of a reluctant businessman. So I, I didn't want to start necessarily set out to start a, a company, but uh, a vehicle to be able to exploit some of these ideas and yeah. materials was to start a company. We, we call that company Orthotic Composites. Yeah. And we had a very heavy focus on what's the biomechanical objective that, that a client might face? What would happen if we tried to solve those objectives using the most modern and advanced materials that we had available to us? And how do we inject a little bit of elegance in, in our approach? Um, yeah. And so that, that was, that was a, the, the brief, so to speak, of Athletic Composites back uh, 10 years ago or longer. Yeah. And um, we operated for a little while, mainly making custom devices. And then we, we teamed up with Tuan. And Tuan uh, took ownership of Photic Composites. And I'm really proud of that relationship because uh, we've, we've used the technical skill in Orthotic Composites and the business skill in Tuan. And um, we've launched the Spry Step series of AFO products and yeah. um, got, got the uh, products out to a larger market. And that's been quite enjoyable. And I've sort of slotted in as a, um, as a product designer for that. Uh, so... And there's more to do. There's more to yeah. do because, because advances in these materials are happening all the time. Um, and applying that to, to caseload problems is, is the yeah, goal. Th that was when you, when you say, because I was, first of all, I wanted to like, be, is it carbon composites is the way you describe what, the, what you're using to, to build your orthoses? Because uh, I know a lot of people, we would say carbon fiber, Orthoses, but it's carbon composites a better terminology for, for us to use because it's not just the one material, well, is it? No, so carbon is one material, and when we make an AFO, we might have five materials in it. Yeah. Uh, there might be polyethylene, which mm -hmm. orthocysts are familiar with. There might be Kevlar. Mm -hmm. um, there might be glass. Um, and there's other sorts of plastics that you can put in because car carbon itself is very lightweight and strong. Yeah. Um, and that's great. Mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, patients can often get value out of something that's lightweight, stiff and strong. You know, yeah. I, I think of polio when I think of that objective, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but carbon is also brittle. So if I want something lightweight, stiff and strong, but I want a client to be able to run in it or hike yeah. in it, then it's too brittle for that application. So you need other materials like, um, like Kevlar, which has impact resistance and, and, and flexibility. Um, so I, I use the word composites because it encompasses that range of, of different um, uh, traits in materials. And then well, you, you mentioned something else about the number of composites, composites that are out there. And, and then I was thinking, well, you're saying there's loads more and you're a materials geek. So does that mean that there's things that you're experimenting with to see what you can do with them or? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like experimenting is, you know, I, I'd like to think, and I'm sure you'd like to think this too, that orthotics is quite, quite a high-end field. Um, yeah. But the truth is we, we're, we're probably not, we don't have millions and, and billions of pounds to spend on experimenting. Yeah. Um, but there are high-end fields that, that we can watch that do lots of experimenting. So the most recent one to me is the America's Cup sailing okay and if you look at the boats that that they're running now the the hull of the boat actually lifts out of the water entirely and is about a foot yeah. out of the water and and they're they're riding on a mono sail <coughs> which is uh underneath the water and the whole boat is being held up by a, a single strut of composite material you're, you're thinking well how have they made that of course. I'm thinking, how do they I'm thinking, how did they make that? And how would that technique help uh someone who's just had a spinal injury uh stand out of a wheelchair? You know, and that's only been in the last two years you see, you get that sort of outcome in America's Cup sailing, and that trickles down to uh to our industry. Um 
you know, we have a uh, we have a, an NFL footballer, um, Alex Smith, who uh, played for Washington. Uh, he retired last year, but he had a significant traumatic injury to his um, uh, tibia. Yeah, you know, 17, 17 surgeries or more than that. Yeah, so. yeah. And, you know, it was, it, the, the design brief for that is pretty extreme. You know, how do we help this athlete, again, who's um, not so much that he's heavy, he's a big man, but he's also very active and, and the forces going through that is, are extreme. How do we do what he needs us to do with managing foot drop and lower limb weakness while also being tolerant of external factors such as a tackle from a 300-pound linebacker? and. <laughs> yeah. Um, and not get in the way of his fluid, of the movements he does have, you know, um, how can we um, not impede the, the, the movements he does have so, so he can play well? Um, and it was only when, you know, I'll, I'll mention America's Cup sailing again, it, it was the sails material. So the, the, the actual um, sails in, in the boat that, can take the pressure of the wind and expand and be, be but, but also hold the tension enough that it can propel the boat forward. It's using fibers that are found in those, uh, those polyethylene fibers that are found in those um, sails that gave us the ability to hit the brief for that sort of um, prescription. Okay, cool. Um, and that, that's only three years old, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not too old. And, and, that, yeah. and those things are gonna continue to change. And then, then of course you've got maybe environmental, uh, impacts yeah. as well you know are there natural fibers are there um, yeah, yeah sustainability is massive like everywhere yes. these days in terms of trying to make trying to create the best product in the most sustainable ethical way so that we're looking after our planet but i so from from that like would you like the, the a lot of what we're talking about is is the stiffness and the properties of the material and, and i think like material stiffness and uh and how you select that for your patient is something that's much more talked about in our industry than it's ever been um even I mean, there's a lot of chat about it in foot from the podiatrists about foot orthoses and then which is quite prevalent and when you look anything up online but like is it the principle you think we were all, we're already kind of using those principles as orthotists a lot we just don't know it it's like you're saying with like we, we do have to kind of thread that needle for like the balance of, of what we can do for our patients. And we are creating a device which um, is applying those forces through a material and the stiffness of that material and the properties to, to achieve a goal. Um, and, and I think that, I don't know, I don't know what, what, how much of that they discuss at university. I don't know that I feel like I came out and I maybe well, that was that was what I was doing, but it's certainly something that's taken time to time to understand more. Yeah. Well, I felt underprepared from that for on that topic when I entered um, entered the industry. So it helped that I had an innate sort of interest in it. Yeah. Um, I think that you're you personally are exploring the idea of three uh, D printing and how that applies to. Um, to, to biomechanical goals and, and clinical goals. Yeah. And one of the similarities between 3D printing and, and composites is that mm -hmm. you're actually making the material uh, as you build the orthosis. Yeah. Okay? Because historically and, and traditionally, we are usually picking a material, whether it be metal or leather, plastic, yeah. and we're saying we want that material and yeah. then we're we're forming it into an anatomical shape that produces the product. Exactly. So you're often um, picking a material based on its on its properties, uh, and then and then accepting that through the work workflow. Yeah. But if you're building the material, okay, yeah. you can say, you know, the thing that thing that I'm interested in at the moment is 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 how do you tune you see we're familiar with the term tuning in, yeah. in afo intervention for instance and that might be influencing the alignment and influencing the um uh 
the characteristics of, of the device, but how do you influence characteristics of an AFO in different anatomical segments? So okay, yeah. okay. we might want, um, we might want say for closed chain kinematics of walking, we might want to uh, prevent foot drop, but not impede forward progression of the limb. Yeah. So to do that, we might want just a little bit of ankle deflection, let's say between five and 10 degrees, but we would want double the amount of deflection at the phalangeal joint okay. extension. Yeah. Okay. So you're thinking about segmenting the build of the orthosis to the needs of the specifics of the person, which yes. is which is a thought process. I like obviously from where I am and working outside of my 3D job, I will use carbon and I will use 3D printing. Probably that's the two materials I use the most, and that keeps like obviously I can see when you send me an or an AFO a vector or something that the the process of that is okay you give me as much information as possible and i will and what you wanted to achieve hence why you get videos from me um and then and, and it's that's the where i the process then the 3d printing is so similar in terms of like okay we're the information we can put into a system to get the product at the end and you can have that choice of what you want to do with different segments and i can see it then in the platform that for the pedo, especially, you can have like they're they're changing the characteristics based on a what you select and b what you input to it. And, yeah, and then it's trying to quantify. And you probably you might have a, you might already have seen this, but I'm I'm bit, bit a pedo, and someone says after they've had a, a plastic ear, and you think you say, oh yeah, you move better, and you think, well, why why is that happening? And I I I have a feeling it's because of. Uh, the scope of tuning has changed. So if you if your starting point is just a single gauge, a single thickness of plastic, yeah, and you want to have double the deflection at the at the phalangeals than you do at the ankle, then what you might do is use an ankle joint. Yeah. Or you might bring the wings of the metatarsals down a bit further to make it a stiffer. Uh, you know, you've got certain tricks you can use. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. yeah. But but what I found is it's it's it sounds complicated when it's on the drawing board, but actually by considering closed chain kinematics and normal human movement into your materials, you're actually increasing your margin of error for the outcome. So, you know, the trick is to design something that doesn't create a new problem. How do you solve the problem you're trying to address, but not create a new problem at the same time? And, I guess, and materials. I guess, it's I guess it's inevitable that you get to that thought when you think, "Well, how can I?" So, I, from from my perspective of looking at a device, it's like, "Well, when what when should I use an ankle joint? When I should I not?" And you know, from from the two hand side, I guess, um, like you know, ankle joints are are not something that you would do with with any of your AFOs. And, and then I guess the question is like, you know, why, why would I, you probably already answered this, why would I choose an ankle joint and, or why would I choose a surprise tip or a vector? Um, or why would I put an ankle joint in my 3D printed AFO and why wouldn't I not when I can control some of those stiffnesses through certain points? And yeah, that that's just a thought that I have sometimes. I, I just think like, I, it's not that I'd, I try to avoid ankle joints because I think they have a cost. I think they have a financial cost. I think they have a maintenance cost and they have a, um, a weight cost. Um, it doesn't mean that you would never use them. Mm -hmm. What I, I think the key question is, is the ankle joint needed for the biomechanical objective I have? Or is the ankle joint needed because I've created a new problem with my selection of design? Good and question. Good question. And it's a hard question. Yeah, hard question to ask yourself, especially. And it depends what tools you have available to you at the time. Um, uh, you know, a, a good reason to use ankle joints is that it can provide you a margin of error. You know, yeah. If if you've got certain manufacturing techniques around you. you know? So it's a, and and ultimately this goes back to what following material advances. You know what what. 
the materials that were available to us three years ago didn't allow us to have this nuanced conversation yet because they weren't capable of being um, flexible enough not to break at the at the phalangeos. Okay. You know, but now they yeah. are. Now they can do cyclic loading and go through a large range of movement without being compromised. Mm. Yeah. So these are all new conversations, and that's yeah. That's, it's funny. Similar similar problems that they've battled through with Ubuntu, like that that exact point. You know, how do you make it not fracture across that? Yeah, it's it's so interesting. Like you know, from your perspective, and then seeing what the challenges we've been through, uh, and then obviously you know using using products across the board from my side. Um, yeah, I God, I could probably go deeper into that, but <laughs> get totally lost. Uh, but I'll I'll change the angle slightly. Um, I'll go for the in terms of digital tech and what you do with yours because I know um, that's something we talked about before coming on that you know there is digital elements to what to what you guys are doing what can you what can you tell us about well yeah I know we've worked with each other a little bit haven't we and you might have been surprised to have seen digital images coming from our from our office maybe but good yeah because you were yeah. like it was a pre preview and that's what we do as well you get a preview of your device before you press go which is yeah. you know a new well, experience I think, yeah i think my observation of it is that 3d printing doesn't necessarily have a monopoly on the advantages that digital platforms digital workflows offer yeah Agreed. So, um, you know, I, I've, as I said, I've been working for quite a few years and I would modify my cast and plaster and I was pretty quick at it, you know, um, and the outcomes were pretty good. All right? So when, when digital processes came along, I was like, oh, yeah, it takes me as long to turn on the computer as it does <laughs> to... To make an AFO, yeah. So I would, I was a late adopter, you know, because I had, I, I thought the problem was solved, right? But COVID happened, and I thought, I wonder what all this fuss is about, you know? Let's let's see what, what's going on here, and and you have to go through. I, I don't find the digital digital processes necessarily democratizing in their application. I actually think they're I, when I hear the term algorithm, I, my ears prick up a bit and I go, really? I actually think it's highly skilled, the digital platform. And there's a, yeah. le- a little bit curve. A little bit more of a positive, uh, a little bit scary. Yes. For people yes, to say, algorithm's going to do it. No, it can't be better than me. Yeah, yeah. And there's a learning curve. And you've got to get far enough along the learning curve that it starts to outperform your traditional techniques. Um, before you feel like you can adopt it, right? Mm-hmm. And and COVID was a great time for that because all the all the <laughs> I'm glad, you added, I'm glad you added that bit on the end. COVID was a great time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, well, it was a great for time. learning new skills. It was a great time to sit back and think about what your workflow was like, you know, because it was already disrupted from COVID. And 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 so we started basically we you know two and a half, three years back now, we, we converted all our traditional build techniques uh, to a digital workflow as quickly as we could. So we might have received a plaster cast, but we would get that into a digital system as quick as we could. And my main takeaway from that was that it was hard. You know, you, you needed uh, clinical skills, you needed technical skills, and you needed computer skills. And, and that sort of skill set is not um, available in many individuals, you know, or many organizations. Mm-hmm. So I can understand why there's a slow uptake in digital processes in our industry. Um, but when you get to the point where you can use a digital workflow, the, the, the clearest advantage to me was communication. Because I don't know, you've probably experienced it, you know. You'd think the way a happy workplace is meant to work is that uh, a technician would say, geez, I'm glad I got such a clear prescription from the orthotist because now I know what to build. 
Yeah. And the orthotist will say, oh, that technician saved me with that, uh, that, that observation about the, the strength of a part because now I know that I can treat the patient better. You know, you'd imagine there's good collaboration in the perfect workplace. Yeah. But actually, what happens is that you're often muttering under your breath about a technician or a technician's muttering under their breath about an orthotist that doesn't understand yeah. how much work goes into something, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of the reality. There's nearly a combative reality in in that relationship and i i know because i've worked in both and what it what it should be is collaborative yeah. and what the digital process has allowed is all right with traditional techniques a cast might be available to a technician as soon as they touch that cast everything previous is forgotten so you might dorsiflex the ankle to get a better pitch or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the original position is lost. You, you don't remember what it is. But the digital workflow allows you to record what has yeah. happened. It, it yeah. allows you to de-risk scenarios uh, because as we began the conversation, these things are complicated. It's hard to make a cafe. It's hard to make an AFO. And using certain observations digitally can help you de-risk the outcome. So, because this doesn't mean that that you know taking a cast is hard as well. You know, yeah, technicians yeah. might not understand that that you've got a, a disabled person in front of you and you're trying to take a cast. It's it's a physically hard thing to execute. So why not collaborate on a digital platform to try yeah. to fix those issues or critique those issues? Um, so I, I found that the digital platform's main value to me uh, was risk management. Yeah. Um, to, to sort of, you know, if, if you're building a house, you, you put the architect puts plans on paper, you know, and then the builder builds it yeah. and everything's transparent from the outset. And we weren't doing that much in, in our industry. And, and that's yeah, it was a little bit more open and just kind of free form and uh, like kind of go with it. And whereas nowadays you can have, I think you, one of your emails to me was this, this is going to require 25 mil are you happy with that and it's like yeah that's kind of what i had uh, measured as so, and and i think like the ability to like ownership we i talk about this a lot like more and more with clinicians that have to have that ownership of their prescription of what they're asking someone to make and then when when they're when they're when you can achieve more detail or more accuracy through communication and digital workflows then it becomes a lot more okay well i know you have to know exactly what you want to create before you ask someone to, to make it yeah yeah and i think you know maybe in my the, the cynical part of me was thinking i tell you what i'm going to make sure these prescriptions are right you know i'm going to i'm not letting the orthotists get away with not giving me all the information that's needed uh before but actually what's happened in practice is that we're just preventing the problems before they become antagonistic, yeah. before they end up failing the patient. Yeah. Um, because you can put measurements on, you can think about how the design has, has progressed and you can critique the process yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and so the error, the error rate of our production has, has improved massively since the onset of digital workflows. Yeah, I can now, totally see that just because you can... Like you say, you can see everything with a lot more accuracy through it. Through, in terms of, I think, like, trying, I could see that because to convey to people who aren't maybe doing it as much, it's like we talk about measurements. We're not talking about like, like making sure you take a, a shoe size and a joint width. They're talking like the measurements of pitches and things before, like that. I know that I'm asking you for, and you're saying this is what you're asking for, and that you send me a picture of it. You can see it before it happens like before and you're like yeah that's exactly what i'm trying to achieve yeah and also prescription forms are great but you don't ever want a prescription form over one and a half two pages right because you'll lose interest but what tends to happen is there's a couple of technical assumptions that go into most jobs you know um oh you know they they want some they want to resist hyperextension, but there's a little bit of hyperextension built into this cast. You know, is that deliberate? And that's an assumption that historically we would just have to guess in a yeah. workshop. 
But now we can say, look, this is a this is our observation. Is mm-hmm. that clinically correct? And move forward with yeah. that information. You know? yeah. So so it's a really really good risk attenuation strategy using yeah. digital platforms. Um, and of course, the, the builds, you know, there is 3D printing in composites, you know, uh, fiber filament placement yeah. and, and things like that. But our specialism is in um, composite builds. So we just plug the manufacturing, you know, you might take a, a model and 3D print it. We will take a model and produce subtractive um, manufacturing tools and, 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 and progress from there. So, uh, you know, yeah. I think there's a lot of similarities between the expertise you're going into and, and, and what we're trying to execute as well. Yeah, I can, yeah, I probably didn't see how alarmingly close they were. I kind of thought about them myself and then speaking to you is kind of like, oh, God, they are very similar. And what you're describing about, like, the input and the digital, um, like, workflow is, is, is like, all everything that we have is to, at 3DOP is to do with, Try to keep it digital and it being a kind of highly skilled um, digital software to to kind of get you through that process. So it's, uh, that's that's really interesting. Um, I'm going to change, change it up a little bit now. Again, I think we could talk about this, some of these questions for a long, long time. Um, I have a Joe Rogan four-hour pod, podcast going on. <laughs> I'm sure you've got places to be. Um, I, I watched your... Um, uh, you talk at Bapo, and I probably didn't quite realize what the that what you know was expecting to talk about the products and like the, the you, you started talking about elegant orthoses, which was something which is such a good concept that um, I think it kind of probably resonated with a lot of people thinking you know that that's something we probably overlook too, too much. And just sure. Just your take on that. That's a good. good thing. Well, elegance is a funny word, isn't it? You say elegant, yeah, it makes you think yeah. of. Um... I don't know, red carpet, ball gowns or um, jewellery or things yeah. like that, you know, but it's um, elegant to me is uh, it, it's a measurable trait. It's, it's, it's something that um, from an engineering perspective, it solves a problem in the most simple, outwardly simple way possible. And it's, it's an ambition that we have in our product design. It's one of our three um, commandments, so to speak. You know, what's the biomechanical objective? How do we use modern uh, materials to execute that objective? And how do we do it elegantly? And I think in orthotics, in, in orthotics, we're often faced with a patient in front of us. And people are complicated. And, you know, actually getting to the design brief with a patient is a bit of a challenge, you know. They might be preoccupied with the colour of a brace or they might be preoccupied with um, something that happened 10 years ago that hurt them in an orthosis. So they don't want to repeat that. You know, so they have lots of rules and lots of preconceived ideas, uh, often not related to the biomechanical goal of the device. So in as orthotists, we've got a human in front of us and we've got to protect that person. We've got to not cause harm. Yeah. And that causes us to listen to their ideas and to be slightly distracted at times. And often we end up building things that are inelegant because of that. You know, we might build something heavier than it needs to be because we're worried that it might break. Or we've built it so that it's got more straps than it needs to have because we're worried about that situation that happened 10 years ago. And we might build it in a slightly altered uh, a material that's suboptimal because we're worried about the colour that, that is so important to that client, okay? So elegance to me means just stripping all the confusion back and thinking about how you would execute the goal as simply as possible. And when you're using um, composites, for instance, you know, we have all sorts of funny, uh, weird shapes in our products, you know, that, that might not have been seen in, in other devices that are made in plastic and metal, things like that. And, and that's because we're, we're using the material to impart a biomechanical force in the most simplistic and elegant way possible. And 
that takes a lot of work because you still got to make sure it doesn't break. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. So if you're using less material, you've got to know exactly how that material performs. You've got to test it. You've got to make sure it, it, it's not going to break in order to, for you to be able to call it elegant. Um, that's my definition of the word. I think, I think sometimes as well as clinicians and you're saying like, you know, barriers are kind of like, you, you do have that conversation with the patient and sometimes like they, they'll talk about bad experiences or you'll have your own bad experiences with something and that without fully understanding, you know, why you had a bad experience as a clinician with something or, or kind of getting to the bottom of why they had it. And there's so much psychology behind both sets of, of, of people that are kind of making that decision. Um, yes. It, yeah, and that, that like you say, you think- I, I feel like the word elegant pulls me out of that quagmire. So, all right, is this an elegant approach to this problem? And so what is the problem, you know? Um, yeah. How do you, because these, these, situ- these clinical situations, they can go on for decades, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I sense you're talking about. You know, you're talking about clinical scenarios yeah. that, that carry on and, and, you know, if you're not doing the right biomechanical thing for a client, you can cause contractures, you can cause um, skin lesions, you can, you know. So how do you pull yourself out of that quagmire? And, and to me, it's trying to have an elegant approach. That's, that's why I use that word. Um, yeah. and I use it a bit too much. People laugh at me at work. No, I think I've, I think I've adopted it into my uh, yeah. kind of clinical spiel now and again I'm talking to patients. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But uh, no, it's definitely something nice. Someone had this. Someone had put the slide up at the time as well. Um, it's nicked your slide from the virtual thing and said, you know, well done for that presentation, like that. But and I thought, yeah, that was a really good angle. That yeah, you're kind of, oh, that's a well, good, idea. good idea. Well, the more the the more of it I see, the more of that mentality I see in the industry, the the happier I am because I think it really helps people. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and and. And it takes hard work because we because we don't want to we, we don't, you know it's something that breaks it's not elegant and and we don't want to hurt people we, and we want to do a good job for them so but that going that extra mile it, yeah. it it makes things pop like it makes other health professionals look at at what we do and think oh I'm going to make another referral to that department because mm-hmm. that's that's a really elegant solution to a problem that we face you know yeah this client. yeah yeah definitely and like we. I obviously we can we said this a couple of times now that there's so a lot of similarities in the way that the the mindset is between 3D printing and, and, and manufacturing from kind of carbon composites or composites on its own. Um, but do you think is there is there a role that they can play together? I mean, I mean, or do you think there's a way that composites will become a material that we can print with? I know like yeah, it's quite fairly open. Like, is there well, so it's a good question. I think, you know, would you be asking me where things are going? Yeah, know? sort of. I think uh, I am sort of asking you that. My question that I've got there doesn't know. It's, I've asked a different one. From, <laughs> I've added more onto it because I'm thinking you can, like, so you can print, like, so sometimes a vector would come with a, a polythene liner in it. I mean, you you could print that now instead of molding it um, if, if you so wished. Um, yeah. So, so but like, could you, in essence, print the carbon in the future? Could you see a link between, I guess, the type of materials that, that we're using in PA11 and, and, and carbon? Like, I, I guess it's kind of that, this is as open a question as that. Yeah, right. Well, I think, I think they, yeah, absolutely, I think they work together. In fact, part of me thinks that there's a bit of a two horse race going on in the industry between the workflow that, that digital and three, 3D printing gives you and the um, material uh, qualities that, that something like composites gives you. Uh, and eventually when they get practical enough, they'll be... Yeah, I, I see that totally. They'll be, they'll be sort of on the top of your toolbox. Yeah, those two that, that's, that's probably the only selections I make like, yeah. these days. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to, to work uh, in a private clinic and you kind of decision-making, someone will come in and be like, oh... You know what should we do? And I'd be like, okay, well, we can three D print it, or you can manufacture from carbon. They're the two best materials out there at the moment. So, yeah. uh, and then it comes down to you. Okay, I've thought about this a lot recently as well. Like, what am I trying to achieve with this person? What is the like? And both both can be 
both are elegant products, you know. So it, it, yeah, it's a this is very interesting the way you describe yeah. it. It's weird. So, so yeah, I think I think the two horse race is, is what comes to mind for me. Knowing that you've got all the traditional techniques to support it as well, they're not cancelled. Yeah. They're just they're there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that we're, we're seeing some interesting ways of merging these things together. Like, and some are better than others. Uh, so yeah. I was listening to your earlier podcast with Mark Thaxter, and he, yeah. he talked about making Jody Cundy's uh, leg. Yeah. Yeah, that was now, that was now to, to use this word again, I think that was an elegant use of the two techniques. Yes. So you've got you've got a framework printed in three um, D printing, and uh, that gives you your repeatability, your um, uh, your structure, joining different aspects of alignment and, and socket together. And but it's got a limitation in its material quality, sure. so you you yeah, reinforce yeah. that with with composite manufacturing techniques. Yeah. So very very elegant use of of um, yeah, that was a that, solution there. That and, was a really cool project. But then I, I'm less impressed with using um, 3D printed, um, say, a foot and calf shell with a, a composite component. Okay. Um, yeah, okay, yeah. You're talking like PD and whatnot. You're trying to be more reserved. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. I, I think I think that the, the approach to, to Jody Cundy's uh, leg was a very elegant use of both systems. Yeah, and uh, but I think that in our search for for how to work these things together, there's a few inelegant ways of of approaching it as well. For instance, when you have a um, a three D printed foot shell and a, a calf shell, and you bolt on a a composite piece, mm -hmm. I, I find that slightly inelegant because it's not taking full advantage of either technique. Yeah, it's it's just forcing them together. It's it's sort of bashing them together and, and 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 that makes sense when you might only have those bits of equipment available to you yeah but you know you're not really you you know when you think about the flow of energy through the afo and and how forces go through it then then having different segments is not necessarily biomechanically as effective as thinking of it as a as a single structure yeah um yeah, yeah, but, no, yeah, no, I, I I can agree with that. I think that the to me, I think you, you talk when you when you think about elegance as an important factor, like the, the big kind of bolt onto the back is not 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 that elegant yeah. as, uh, as something which is smooth and flows. But at at the moment, like I, I mean, I I can as three D printing as a tool for what we do. Like I I'm often finding that uh, you know, say we want to make a cafe. And we build it digitally and want to make a structure uh, in composite because it's lighter and, mm -hmm. and stiffer. Then often some of the accessory units, such as uh, an anterior shin um, shell, mm -hmm. is, 3D printing is a good source of yeah. um, production. Probably makes it a bit more cost effective than having to do that. And it doesn't need to be. Yeah, yeah. Think strong. of the waste to drape over that whole cafe. And, um, and also in troubleshooting, like if we have to, if, if something doesn't quite work in the execution, it's usually to do with the force pattern not being sustained or, and, and you can use 3D printing as a troubleshooting tool. Okay. Um, and, and, and of course, you know, it's going to progress. You know, when I, when I see 3D printing, I, I think, you know, when you can start printing components like knee joints within the shell and have that, have that, um, structurally sound enough. Yeah, that that's when it's going to kick off, and well, it is kicking off. But that's when yeah. I was going to say I've seen yeah, a couple, yeah. but it's not something that I've seen a few pictures of it, but nobody's kind of shouted that loud about it. So I do wonder whether there's still some realties to to. To to me, it's to me, it's what does it give the end user in terms of the outcome? Mm -hmm. Jody Cundy, fantastic clinical outcome. Uh, the bolted together structure, maybe not as finesse a clinical outcome as could be achieved. That, that to me is the benchmark of, of yeah. when these things should be used together and yeah. when they should be avoided. I can see that. And I think, yeah, certainly our product line is similar in terms of like things that flow and elegance kind of fits into that too. So I, and, and, and then you, when you take a step back and think about what you talk about, it, it, it makes sense that things that are elegant are, are more appealing to people, are 
uh, you know, from, from some of the things that we maybe come up with. And, and I think it's part of a process. So we'll always try and combine things early, see how it looks or works, and then it may have a, it may have a place, it may not. And then if it, you know, we move on and things, things keep changing. Absolutely, it's part of part of the, the stage we're at. It's a very exciting time that we're at, you know, and yeah, and having a few rules to guide us and to to make sure what gets on the on the client is um is suitable is is a good thing as well in this sort of um heady time of, of different yeah. designs. Yeah, and and that probably takes me into my my last question because I know you're you're a busy man, um, designing products, uh, uh. Was it obviously you guys are can manufacture a caffle, which is um as as quoted this from Sean's uh, LinkedIn profile. Um oh, yes, yeah. you can make in a making a caffle that weighs less than a one kilogram bag of sugar. And then uh, I was gonna say what's next, but like you say, it's like how do you what what do you do with that next? Yeah, that, that's completely true. Like I liken it to Formula uh, not uh, Tour de France racing, you know, you've got uh 65 70 kilo uh person on a on a bike that you can lift up seven, with a finger seven, seven kg bike yes exactly and and the forces going through that are super extreme like you know so we can expect those sort of uh weight uh, strength weight relationships in cafos now you can make a, a, a cafo under a kilogram for you know a 70 80 kilogram person um that's that's achievable uh and the durability should you know, um, be sustainable. Um, and, and what's next, you know, maybe we've got the, uh, uh, the weight concept where we want it for something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. But, you know, we can look at the durability concept. We can look at the execution concept. Mm -hmm. uh, we can look at uh, all, all different things that, that, that will improve uh, what's going on for these clients. Um, so there's plenty of work to do, plenty of work yeah. to do. Weight's only one component of what makes yeah. a good orthosis. Uh, um, the, the, the clinical service is, is another, and, and, and how can we make that easier for both the orthotist, the prescriber, and, and, and the client? I think that's what's next. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I'm glad uh, we were able to get you on board. Yes, no, absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed talking to you, Doug, and, and, and keep it up. It's a, I'll be listening <laughs> to the uh, future podcast as well because uh, it's, it's a nice little format you've developed. And yeah, congratulations. Yeah. I've, got a few, I've got a few other ideas going forward. So I'll uh, Wonderful. And, and hopefully catch up with you. Well, I don't think we've ever met face to face. And this is the first time it's, I think we've uh, actually, I've actually spoken face to face. I've seen your face on Bapo last year when you talked, and obviously I call you. I don't know you, but it's that funny time in the world, isn't it? Where we, where everything is, uh, where we meet people like this before face to face. But mate, the next uh, conference events, I hope to do that. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. All right. Take care, and thank you very much.